With the recent success of popular stocks such as Afterpay, more and more people have been wondering, do you let your share winners win? Or do you start to cull and take some profits and diversify across your portfolio? So that's what we'll be looking at today. Everything we talk about on today's podcast is general advice only because we don't know your individual personal situation. Before you act on anything we've spoken about, you should chat to your financial advisor. And if you don't have one, feel free to reach out to us. Now, on to today's show. Hi, guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Wealth Collective podcast. I'm Zach Masters, and today I'm joined by Pete Pennycott from Picada and Anthony Malvazo from AGM Advisory Group. How are we going, guys? Howdy. Very, very good to be here. And um, yeah, a little tense times. How are you doing, Anthony? Not too bad. Just interested in the next 48 hours to see what we can and can't do. Yeah, well, obviously, we're in um, stage three of lockdown here in Victoria at the moment. So we're joining each other remotely. Um, but it looks like a stage four is potentially coming. Um, have you got any plans if we do go into stage four? How are you going to keep yourself busy, Anthony? Well, we need to know the rules, and I was watching Contagion the other night, trying to grasp how far down the road we're going to be. Um, until we know that, it's a bit hard, but it, the last 48 hours sort of it sunk in. This is, this is going to happen, whether it's three, four weeks, we will be extremely limited and probably haven't lived like this in our lifetime. So we just need to adapt our plans, but probably planning some things around business and personal. Yeah, well, what a better time to be like catching up on the back catalogue of the Wealth Collective podcast, I say. Like, that's really, you know, this is when opportunity knocks, seize it. Uh, Absolutely. I've been doing a lot of online ordering, so I put my Bunnings order in because I sort of heard rumblings that was sort of closing up. Uncle Dan's, he's uh, supported me with a few um, few bottles of vino coming my way and a shout out to the guys at Park Hill Cellars who helped me out with some uh, back vintage reds that I'll be enjoying. Nice so. little plug. Yeah, that, <laughs> th- that was last lockdown. That was that was the first lockdown. This one, I'm trying to have a, a different sort of sort of uh, three um, or four weeks. There'll be nothing to nothing dry about my July. Let me just say that it's been a common theme. <laughs> so um, I guess recently, um, with the the rise of like shares such as Afterpay and things, um, post that that dip we had back at the start of COVID nineteen um, over here. We've had a few people that have um, been lucky enough to purchase shares such as Afterpay at the low and ride them um, to the high that they're at now. And I guess that's prompted people to start to question whether or not they profit take from these shares. Do they hold on to them? So today's episode, we're going to be talking about, do you keep riding your winning stocks? Um, so should you should you let winners win and continue to go? Um, or how do, you, how do you potentially look at um, a stock when it's had such a big rise and you hold it within your portfolio and it's starting to take up a higher percentage of your portfolio? Um, so, Pete, what should people be thinking about when a stock has had a big run? Uh, well, look, I think the first thing is, like in the words of the late and great uh, Kenny Rogers, you've got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. <laughs> <laughs> know when to walk away, know when to <laughs> run. Yeah. So we won't keep going through the whole song. But I think... Um, what I like to think about when I do hit one of those businesses and it goes on a little bit of a tear is what was my initial investment thesis for the business? Um, and has anything changed? The whole point that you initially started investing in it, you hoped this was going to happen. Mm. So why does everyone sort of um, you know, get so tense and get so nervous when it actually happens? You're like, oh, great. The actual thing that I thought was going to happen is happening. Um, so I think that's a really good starting point for me. 
um, to assess that. If it hasn't changed, probably no need to sort of change anything, but I guess it comes down to the rest of your portfolio as well. So nothing in isolation. What, what about, about you, Zach? Yeah, what about um, So I'll say you have to look at two potentially concentration risks. So have you, um, you know, what, what, how much risk is too much for one particular share to be in your portfolio? So concentration risk is when you're uh, particularly overweight to one asset. So this is, um, you know, you might hold, for example, in the example of Afterpay, Afterpay, Afterpay may now be 40% of your portfolio. So therefore, if something happens where Afterpay is negatively affected, your overall portfolio um, is not going to be able to cope with that overly well. So you need to look at that. And I think you need to look at the concentration risk versus the potential you still see for the company. So do you still see it continuing to grow further and further? Um, or is it, you know, at its where you think it should be and um, it's potentially maxed out? Or how do you see the future going forward? Because you, uh, if you, yeah, as you said, as Pete said at the start, if the, the investment thesis is there and it's continuing on that that track, then the argument's there to say, well, why do you um, potentially sell some down? But you've got to weigh that up against the concentration risk. So what about you, Anthony? How do you look at it? Uh, just to add on what both of you said, great points is a lot of these times you've heard it off someone, someone that you trust, or it's either been a hot tip or, you know, um, something along those lines. I'd re-engage with that, that person or that, that advisor who's, who's initially gave that recommendation and see where their mindset is on it. And if you can sort of tell they're, they're um, still keen to stay, stay put, um, that may give you a bit more of an idea of what to do. Or if they've got, you know, a bit of a different view from what you're thinking yeah absolutely and i think the the key thing is you get better at doing this over time so the longer you've been an investor i think you do improve your ability to not get like overly exuberant about when a when a share goes up you know because that's you know that's part of investing you should you know enjoy it a little bit but don't get excited about it um but i think early on in my investing career too often I kept um, trimming my flowers and watering my weeds. So you kept going, these ones are down. Mm. Keep adding to these ones because they must, they must have to bounce back. Well, guess what? Sometimes they don't. Um, some of the best businesses are the ones that keep winning. So winners keep winning. Mm. Um, yep. And I know sort of um, like the Motley Fool co-founders, the Gardner uh, brothers are big on this as well. Uh, they call it sort of, you know, you lead huskies um, sort of when you, I don't know, and there must be sort of dog sledding and stuff <laughs> <laughs> um but i think with those ones you you do like and i sort of got burnt early on with csl so that's one that you know when you sort of take it back to what it started at after stock splits you're talking about a two dollar business that's now several hundreds of dollars and you know amazon as well really good businesses potentially the ones that are going to be have the best chance of continuing to grow because they've got good leadership they've got a really good business model they've got a large addressable market so I don't think that you should just trim them for the sake of trimming them and then reallocate the stuff that's not working. I don't think that's a really sort of sound strategy. And I know I got sucked into that a lot of times early on. And um, yeah, you learn your lessons very quickly because um, yeah, it impacts your portfolio performance. <laughs> so following on from that, I guess, um, how much of a percentage of a portfolio should one individual stock be then? Um, if we are going to let winners win and things like that. Um, Pete, how much do you think... One, one stock should make up of a portfolio? It depends. I might get this tattooed on me. <laughs> um, I think all investments are different um, and it depends on what style of investment it is. You know, is it a, a large cap, like a mega cap? I think I'd be much more comfortable with Amazon or Google or a CSL being a large percentage of my portfolio than I would um, the latest biotech that 
someone, there's a rumour that they've solved coronavirus, I'd be far more comfortable sitting on a large position in one of those bigger businesses where it's got a proven business model. Um, so probably the less speculative it is, the more comfortable I get. So I'd probably, yeah, I, I always get sort of, I always think every time you hit 5%, review. If it's something gets to 10% of your portfolio, again, review. Retest that thesis. They're just nice round numbers that you should be checking. Once you get above 10%, you know, you really need to be confident that this is a high, high quality business. Um, or I think the other thing you could do is complement it with very diverse positions outside. So instead of holding direct positions outside, maybe hug that very aggressive position you've got, a very concentrated position with perhaps like a, a passive index fund or something like that or an ETF. What about you, Anthony? How do you see um, how much of a percentage of a portfolio should one stock be? 100%. <laughs> if it's your own business wow. if it's your own business uh, a disclaimer on at the start of the show now <laughs> you know like as pete said you know those round numbers five or ten percent and depends on if it's a large cap or a, or a speculative stock um and just make a judgment call from there but um yeah those around that five percent mark cool so if people are in this position pete then how did they decide what to do uh, I, you just got to assess the information in front of you. I think you got to, you know, steal your nerves. Um, don't let uh, your greed or your fear rule the investment decision. Go back to your investment thesis. Does it still stack up? Are you comfortable with the concentration risk? Um, it's very easy for a business to sort of lose 10, 20, 30, 40% of its um, share price very quickly. So are you comfortable with that? Um, would you be happy for that to happen overnight? And if you're not, and if you can't pass the sleep test, do something about it. Get proactive. Don't sit on it and wait to sort of cry over spilt milk after it's happened. Um, you need to be proactive. Um, and once you've made that um, assessment, be comfortable with it and stick with it and be confident in your decision. And then review it regularly. I think, you know, at least every sort of quarter you should be looking at your portfolio to say, hey, has something changed? What does the world look like? How does the business look? Um, and the good thing is most companies are reporting semi-regularly or at least putting out updates. So you can sort of track how things are going. Um, and hopefully, you know, the next quarter we're out of restrictions and um, I haven't run out of my Dan Murphy's order. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about you, Anthony? How, how should, do you think people should decide what to do? Uh, assess all the consequences of holding or selling whether it's CGT, you know, whether it's losing the lot if you've held on too long or you could be missing out on the real run. You might mm. have got in, think, you know, this is this is a great time to exit and it might be a, on its best run after yeah. you. Afterwards. And I think those tax implications are a key one. Yeah, you want to be point. really mm. careful about how much you want to give to the ATO. Yeah, and you might be feeling generous. You want to give a heap of your capital gains to the ATO. And don't, uh, don't um, think it's not a chance to put more in. If it's not too big of a percentage, that is. Yeah, I, look, I agree with that. I think what, you know, sort of you know, fertilising water in your winners and sort of supporting them and keep adding to them, that's, some of, like, that's how you make excess returns. And you do want to beat the market. Otherwise, go buy a passive index fund. Why, why are you buying direct equities if you're aiming to just get market returns? Generally, it's up a hot tip. Yeah, so but that's why you're in it. You're in <laughs> yeah. it for you want above market growth. Otherwise, yeah. you would have bought a, an index fund. Yeah. Um, so I think that's really um, key. What about you, Zach? What are you thinking? Like, how would you sort of um, help out steer our listeners in the right direction? Yeah, so I think that capital gains ones are a good 
a good one for people to be thinking about because I think often they, um, a lot of people might potentially just go, oh, I better sell some of it and, and then they have to deal with the tax consequences come, you know, June 30 uh, when they're lodging there or June, July 1st when they start to look to lodge their returns. That's when people start to think about, oh, hang on, I actually sold this and I've now got to pay X amount of tax. A lot of people don't put the tax aside or factor it in. Um, so I think that's a good point uh, to potentially look at um, as well, especially if you've held it for less than 12 months. Um, that's something you should be definitely looking at. I think you've got to look at do the negatives outweigh the positives of keeping it. So um, looking at you know what do you see the future potential for this business? Uh, I know you brought up um, examples of Amazon and things like that, but I think you need to think like that too. Like if it's a business that you really believe in at the start, then why would you be selling it if it's doing what you thought it would be doing? Yeah, and it's normal for it to feel uncomfortable. Mm. Well, that's that means you've got skin in the game. Yeah, and that's a I don't know, I think that's healthy to have a bit of respect for your portfolio and that things may not go the way you planned all the time. Um, and I think the other thing to do is if you're a regular contributor, so if you're in growth phase, in accumulation mode, that's maybe the how you balance out the portfolio. So instead of selling, maybe build the rest of it, sort of you know, have that confidence going, okay, I've got, I'm on to a winning strategy here. I feel like if I can keep assessing businesses because that's the way you can sort of reduce the percentage weighting in the portfolio by building around it. Um, and, you know, you can build around it. Just, you know, don't go diversifying Afterpay with, you know, ZipPay, Sezzle <laughs> and uh, any buy, anything buy now, pay later. Like actually, diversification needs to be true diversification, not just, oh, I've got this many line items in my portfolio, but guess what? They're all the same uh, sector. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else that you'd add on this subject before we move on to the mailbox question? Yeah, my, my parting remark, unless one of you other gentlemen wanted to jump in, you only get very few really, really, really good investment ideas in your lifetime. Don't waste them. Like, you, there's not, you know, you're not going to be turning over rocks and find a new, the next big thing and the next best investment idea every week or every month or every year. These do not come by often. So when you do seize that one and have it, don't take it for granted and think it's that easy because it's not. What's uh, what, what, what's your one that you've had? Shopify. 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 Good one. CSL has been really good for a lot of clients in our business. Um, Ultium, another one. And these are businesses where I still think that Amazon, I still think, yeah, I could rattle them on, go on and on. Is this your money or call? <laughs> <laughs> but I think realistically it's a case of those, I still look at those businesses and I look like very positively upon the trajectory of their, where they're headed. Yep. Um, but, you know, like the, I've trimmed positions, I've sold stuff like in, at different points, but it's all based on how does it fit into my overall plan. It's not just going, oh, I hit 10%, cut it to 5%. I think that's way too simplistic to think uh, about investing because I can't stress it enough after doing this for um, a fair amount of time. Good ideas do not grow on trees, so make sure you make the most of them and really squeeze uh, squeeze all the juice out of them. What about you, Anthony? Is there any um, final remarks you'd leave on this subject? Probably realise if it's a good company that's going to have a long-term potential or if it's just something that someone's told you is a hot tip and it's get in and get out. <laughs> I've had those tips and think there's long-term potential and I've lost that big, big upward swing in a matter of weeks. So it's about knowing what if one's just a bit of a speculative stock and one's a really good company that's got great potential. 
Very good, very good. Uh, so we might move on to the mailbox questions. So we got a question from Justin in this week. Hi guys, love listening to the show. I've recently started a new Thanks role. Justin. Yeah, thank you, Justin. Um, I've recently started a new role and one of the benefits is I get given an income protection policy uh, with a benefit period of two years. Um, so this is quite common. I've seen this quite, quite a bit that um, more employers are offering this. Uh, so does this mean that I should be moving the waiting period on my existing income protection out to two years? And what else do I need to be aware of? Um, so do you want to kick us off, Anthony? Yeah, definitely. Uh, like like anything, it depends, as Pete's tattoo is going <laughs> to say next week. Uh, like You've got you to evaluate, is, is this a policy that he's been provided and the employer pays? Well, the easy answer is yes, move it out to two years, but probably just got to evaluate it, what your current policy is, what's the effect of doing that, and if you... If it is a short-term role, we'll, we'll, you, you obviously won't have the policy. So if you do move the waiting period out on your current policy, it may be hard to get it back in. Yeah, so I think that's an important point is that if you are going to move your benefit or your waiting period out, uh, moving it back in requires underwriting. So if you then want to go back to 90 days, so say you um, leave this employer in a few years' time and then you go, oh, hang on, I need to get my policy back to a 30-day wait or a 90-day wait, you then have to go through, most of the time, go through underwriting again. So if you've had an adverse medical event happen in that time, then potentially you could end up with a you know a worse case scenario than what you currently have. So that's something to be aware of. Um, but usually it makes sense to potentially move your waiting period out to complement that because the, both of the policies aren't going to be paying out at the same time normally. Uh, is there anything else you'd add to that one, Pete? I'll just put a full stop exclamation point at the end of that. <laughs> Great job, gentlemen. Done. Very Thanks. good. So thank you for joining us today, gents. And um, let us know if you think of any hobbies or anything to do in stage four if we if we get to that point. Absolutely. Um, otherwise, uh, yeah, thanks for listening. And please give us five stars, like, Well, just because we deserve it. Yeah. yeah. That's Um, share it around if you've got any questions email us at connect at picarda.com.au or hit us up on any of our socials otherwise we'll see you guys next week potentially even more remotely yeah (laughs) how more remotely could we be we're not allowed to ever leave the house see you guys see ya bye